And so ends the reading, John 6, verses 60 through 71. With this chapter, we wind up our study in chapter 6 of this gospel. Let me begin by observing that we don't often hear it anymore, but there used to be a phrase that people used talking about a fair-weather friend. That's an apt description of a certain kind of person. See, it describes a person you thought you could depend on, but who, when the times were tough, well, they deserted you. As long as the, quote, weather of your friendship was clear and trouble-free, that so-called friend was there. But when you had trouble in your life, when things got difficult, for one reason or another, that friend was nowhere to be found. I think that today we see a vivid example of the fact that there were fair-weather disciples who followed Jesus. But when Jesus' words began to hit a little too close to home, those followers vanished. They were gone. Now, in in a brief two-sentence summary form, I think that for our purposes, we can also say that this passage teaches us a striking lesson about the submission to the authority and lordship of Christ. But it also shows us the attitudes and actions of the fair-weather disciple in contrast to the true disciple or follower of Jesus. So, with that very brief introduction, I I want to mention a number of things that we can take away from this passage today. And I'm going to ask you to notice a few things. Here's the first thing. Note what Jesus said that the fair-weather disciples did not want to hear. So verse 60 begins by telling us that when those men heard this, when they heard this, they said it was a hard saying. So to that point, they had heard him present himself as the bread of life or the the bread of God. But they wanted to hear about miracles and signs and wonders. They had heard him speak of giving his flesh for the life of the world. When what they wanted to hear was a sectarian message of military triumph. They heard him speak of having to drink his blood. When what they wanted was a message of revenge and total destruction of their enemies. They heard him speak about their need to eat his flesh. When what they wanted to eat and consume was more fish and bread for their bellies. And above all... They heard Jesus speak of man being so corrupted by sin and alienated from God that unless God the Father draws him, a person would never come to Christ for salvation. When what they wanted to hear was what they were quite capable of doing on their own is coming to Christ of their own initiative. Anytime they decided to do so. So look again at verse 60. It says, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Um, There's a a different translation I think catches the flavor maybe a little better where it says, this is hard to take in. Who can listen to talk like this? See, it's not that Jesus' teachings were hard in the academic sense or hard to understand or hard to comprehend. Rather, I think it means harsh. These were offensive words. They did not like what Jesus was telling them. It offended them. He declared things to them that were different, that were contrary 
to what they had always believed. And they did not want to listen to it. Now let's ask ourselves, are we in this narrative anywhere? Do we see a picture of ourselves in any of this? How many times have we heard a truth from God's word that we didn't like? You know, I think that if we would take the time to do a spiritual and doctrinal inventory of what we believe and compare it with what God's word teaches, we might be astounded at how far some of our long-held beliefs are from the truths of Holy Scripture. Now, let me just give you an uh, innocent, fun example of that. And you've heard this many times before, but it, it's something that in a low-key way proves the point. You know, if you ask the average person, um, in the Garden of Eden, who was it that ate the apple first, Adam or Eve? If they know anything, uh, they will probably say, well, it was Eve, of course, and she gave the apple to Adam. But you see, the problem is, Scripture doesn't say the fruit was an apple. It simply says they ate of the fruit. Now, that may be a minor point. But you've got people walking around believing that the Bible says they ate an apple when they didn't. So what else is there floating around in our heads like that? That's even far more significant. Notice the immediate response those people had to hearing what they didn't like. It says in verse 61, they murmured. That is, they complained. They grumbled. When they heard something from God's Son that differed from what their beliefs were, they did not go to him with a teachable spirit and openly state their difficulties. And why not? Well, as John told us at the very beginning of this book, there are many in this world who hate the light and prefer the darkness. Uh, the, the, The darkness of their own opinions, of their own traditions, of their own way, preferred way of doing and believing. Now, this plays out in different ways in the life of the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to mention some things here that I think are relevant in that if you've been in a church longer than just a few years, you know very well how some of the most painful days in the life of a church are when there is division and dissension. People uh, sometimes who, upon hearing something that they don't like from the pastor or the session or the Sunday school teacher, they don't like it and they prefer to deal with it in perhaps a less than biblical way. Now look, I'm not talking here about you know, genuine concern over legitimate concern of something that's been said. The issue is not do pastors make mistakes or sessions make mistakes or Sunday school teachers, or whatever it may be. They do. The issue is, how are you dealing with it? How is it going to be dealt with? Is the solution to complain and murmur like these people did? Or is the solution to kind of walk around in the background and uh, sow seeds of strife and generally cause harm to the body of Christ? All because, you see, like these people, they'd rather murmur and complain than deal with the matter personally and face to face. Jesus asked them in verse 61, are you offended at this? And then he asked them, if you are offended at this teaching, what would you think when you see me rise again from the dead and ascend into heaven? Verse 63 points out it is the spirit who gives this new life, uh, the life of abundant life and salvation and and, and faith. The flesh, that is the human will, have nothing to do with it. 
And in saying that, Jesus was simply stating perhaps in a different way what he'd already said back in verse 44. To believe in him, to accept for oneself the saving value of his atoning death is not an act of the flesh. So before a person can do and say those things that are common to all people who possess new life in Christ, well, that person must be actually alive in Christ. That's a self-evident truth, but perhaps it needs to be said. The ability a person has to believe in Jesus and to live for him is the evidence of divine life already given to the one who now believes. So it is not your faith or mine, it is not your act of believing or mine that brought this new life to us. No, it was God the Father who by his Spirit put his life into you, into me, so that we would then be able to believe and have faith. So there's there's one thing and only one thing that can stir a dead sinner to new life, and it, and well, let's say what it isn't. If you've got a person who is dead in their trespasses and sins, and they are appointed unto God for salvation, there's one thing and only one thing that can stir that sinner to new life, and let's say what it's not. That, that one thing is not the eloquent, silken-tongued preacher. It, it's not the choir. It isn't emotional appeals and altar calls. It isn't forceful or logical arguments. It's not even beautiful music. It is solely the Spirit of God who gives life. Now here in verse 64 of this chapter, Jesus brings together these two strands of biblical truth regarding the nature of our salvation, or as the case may be, the lack of it. He says that there were some among them who do not believe, and so here and there the emphasis is human responsibility. Some of you don't believe, he's saying. Men and women, no matter how dead they may be in their sins, they are still responsible and answerable to God. And all men and women everywhere are commanded by God to believe in him. But Jesus tells us that some of them would not. But not only that, they would not and they could not. Now, the Lord declared back up in that verse 44 I referred to a moment ago. Now, I'm going to misread it. Let's keep on with this, you know, what it didn't say thing. He did not say, no man will come to me unless the Father. He said, no man can come to me. No man has the ability to come to me. It's not just not having the desire. He says, you don't even have the ability to come to you unless the Father draws him. Verse 66 here. From that time, many of his disciples went back or fell away from him and walked with him no more. From that time. See, those men had already been offended by all this talk about eating Jesus' flesh and and drinking his blood. And although, I'm sure, they suspected that the Lord was not really urging them to become cannibals, they really had no idea what he was talking about. But it was not at that time that they fell away from him. It was at this point in his teaching where the sovereignty and overreaching power of God is asserted and declared over human beings. No one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my heavenly Father. They would not hear any more talk of Jesus making all these decisions, of God making all these decisions. They would not abide. One more statement 
from the Son of God himself that God the Father grants to whom he wills the ability, the desire, and the will to follow Jesus. And it's at that point that they turned away. You know, I, uh, I, I never cease to be amazed at the, the things that come up in, in some church situations where you have people looking for an excuse to fall away, looking for a reason to quit going to church. Now, if you dig deep enough, generally there's something going on in the background of a person's life. Maybe they've got some sin that's crept into their lives and they, 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 they don't want to admit to themselves or anybody else, I've got this problem and when I go to church, I feel particularly guilty in my conscience, so I'm just going to not come to church anymore. No, no, they'll come up with something else. For example, a pastor friend of mine told me some years ago, he had been newly called, accepted a call to this church, and uh, it wasn't long after he got there, but a family in that church who'd been there long before he was, they quit going to church. They just simply vanished. They started going somewhere else. I don't remember the details. But one of the elders at that church called that family, and they said, look, you know, we just got a new pastor here, and we haven't seen you now for weeks or months. What's up? Here's what they told him. Well, we heard the new pastor in his sermon a few weeks ago make a very unkind remark, unfriendly remark about used car dealers. Used car dealers. That turned out they had a son who was a used car dealer. So they took great offense at his statement and they vowed never to return. Now, you see, that kind of thing is unfortunate. And I'm sure it was based on a misunderstanding. All they had to do was go and resolve it. I suspect, and my pastor friend did too, there was something else in the background other than whatever he may or may not have said about a used car dealer. But you see, the point is, if the goal is to lead the church, you've got the excuse and you don't want to pursue trying to get it resolved. But there's no misunderstanding here with what Jesus is saying to these people. And... Those who hold fast to the words of our Savior, well, we meet with the same reaction that our Lord met with. And whether or not we're talking about ancient or modern fair-weather disciples, the reasons for that kind of rejection of the Word of God are the same in every age. Men and women do not like being told that there's someone who has authority over them, especially in the area of salvation. They don't like to hear anything that contradicts their beliefs and self-taught notions about being and becoming a Christian. And so, they fall away. They may fall away into churches that tell them what they want to hear, rather than what God's Word actually says. And I can tell you from personal knowledge and experience, that the, the, the big megachurches, you know, these churches with 7, 10, 12,000 people and multi-campuses. Now, I'm, I'm not saying this is the case in every one of them. I'm sure there are exceptions. But for the most part, when you've got a church that size, you can almost be certain that the people going to it are not going to hear anything that they would take exception to. Because nothing is ever said from the pulpit that might be offensive to them. I once had a conversation with the pastor of a, of a, of a big, I mean, one of the biggest mega churches in the area where I was living in upstate New York. And I asked him, you know, what, what about sermons against... Uh, same-sex marriage and, and abortion. Do you, how often do you... Oh, well, you know, we, we stay away from those subjects, he said. That's an example. People will leave a church where they find something they disagree with from the pulpit in terms of doctrine or belief 
and they'll go somewhere where they're not going to be challenged. Or they may even, worse than that, fall into heresy and outright denial of the Christian faith. Now, if you look back at verse 67, you see that these so-called disciples, these are not the same people as the 12 apostles. Because after those others have left Jesus, he turns to the 12, it tells us, and he asks them a question. It's a question that he puts to all of his followers. Because they too had heard his teaching. And they too had been walking with him and seen his miracles. And the question that the Lord asked them and us is, do you also want to leave? And finally, the last thing that we want to take note of here is the response of these true disciples as opposed to the fair weather ones. We've seen what it was that, that got them upset. We've seen the response after they've gotten upset. They fall away. Now, what about these who stick around? Notice what Peter says in verses 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, notice this. Something very significant here, and I'll point this out to you in a minute. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's not the miracles that Peter and the others were taken with. It was the words. It was the truth. True disciples have heard the same words the others have heard, but they have not fallen away. They remained. And they have done so because God Almighty has given them the wisdom to believe that these are the words of Zoe Ionia, eternal, age-enduring life. Now, that's not to say that they're easy words, but the true disciple, the true follower realizes there is no alternative. There is no other truth than this truth. And then in verse 69, Peter makes a statement that I sort of verbally underlined just now when I read it. He makes a statement that's very important in terms of describing how a person comes to terms with the truth of God's word. He says, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, the point I'm making here is that he's saying, God's word tells us, a person first believes the truth and then comes to know it. And with that, you have a perfect example of how God's ways are higher and different than man's ways. I mean, who ever heard of believing something first in order to know it, in order to be sure about it? No, the humanistic way is to want to be sure first and then believe. Yet God, in his divine wisdom, turns upside down the wisdoms of man. It is utterly impossible to be sure of divine truth until you have believed it. Now, see, the natural man says, oh, no, 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 seeing is believing. But the spiritual man, in, 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 term, in the biblical sense of that phrase, the man being drawn by God believes in order that he may see. It is through faith that we come to know the truths of God and his word. You know, uh, a person might live to be two or three hundred years old. And they would understand nothing about the great mysteries of God until they had faith in him and what his word says. So things like assurance and knowledge, those are the result or the fruits of believing, not vice versa. Now, there are many people in this world today... I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt here. 
They really do want to know something about Jesus of Nazareth. And they may even wish to have certainty that he is the son of the living God, as Peter calls him here. But you see, that kind of certainty does not come from listening to uh, TV preachers or even the arguments and classes of seminary professors or from studying books that present evidence for Christian faith. No, that comes by believing what God said about his son in the words of Holy Scripture. So we see then that the true disciples' response to the words of Christ are belief first, then full knowledge and assurance. But there's yet one more aspect to the response by the true disciples. Peter and the other true disciples did much more than confess with their mouths that they believe and knew all those things. No, they put their faith and knowledge into action. Now look, the fair-weather disciples did that too. But you see, their action was to fall back, to, to not walk with Jesus anymore. But the true disciple does not fall back. He goes forward. He keeps on walking. So, as we close out this chapter 6 of John's Gospel, the words of Jesus here echo down through the centuries to us. The questions that he asks. His words are just as offensive to people today as they were then. And his challenge is just as powerful and real to all who claim to be his followers. And that question is, and I leave it with you this morning, what are you going to do now? Are you going to be like the rest? Are you going to walk away, fall away because of the sovereignty of God? By God's grace, let us never fall away. Let's pray.